A few weeks ago, Stacy and I were doing a small, intimate retreat for some folks. And I was really excited about my sessions, <laughs> but I, I was not prepared for the power of Stacy's session. And what she went into was the human soul's need for attachment, attachment love, the assurance of abundance. And after the retreat, that was the session everybody talked about. Wow. So welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of June 13th. And the reason that that story is important is because this week we're going to play chapter five from the new book, Resilient, and chapter five is on attachment and how God brings to us attachment love yes. and heals in the soul the assurance of abundance that most people don't have that assurance in their souls. Yes. And when people listen, I think they're going to be amazed at this chapter. It's one of the most powerful in the book, and it's one that I just think is new to a lot of people about how to receive this abundance and and how God does that. Yes, me too. Me too. So if you're if you're brand new, if you just jumped in, you've not been with us for a while, two weeks ago we played chapter one. Last week we played chapter three from the audio book I just released called Resilient, Restoring Your Weary Soul in These Turbulent Times. We are really, really excited to get this message to you folks. We really are. So let's go. Let's go into chapter five. Here's our next survival story. This one I've entitled, The Fear of Not Having Enough. The primal fear that sweeps over men and women in survival situations is the fear of not having enough. This reaches to the core of human need. It might be food or water, it might be clothing, whatever enough means to each person. This panic has overcome many otherwise steady souls. Back in World War II, when Louis Zamperini's B-24 bomber went down in the Pacific, only three of the 11 men on board survived. They scrambled onto two small life rafts. Each rubber boat was equipped with a few basic emergency provisions, including military-issue Ration D chocolate bars, a single square per man, morning and evening. But during their very first night at sea, while two men slept, the third was overcome by the primal fear of not having enough. He ate every single bar. As Laura Hillenbrand wrote in her fabulous book, Unbroken, Louis woke with the sun. Mac was beside him, lying back. Phil lay in his raft, his mind still fumbling. Louis sat up and ran his eyes over the sky and ocean in search of rescuers. Only the sharks stirred. Louis decided to divvy up breakfast, a single square of chocolate. He untied the raft pocket and looked in. All of the chocolate was gone. He looked around the rafts. No chocolate, no wrappers. His gaze paused on Mac. The sergeant looked back at him with wide, guilty eyes. The realization that Mac had eaten all of the chocolate rolled hard over Louis. In the brief time that Louis had known Mac, the tail gunner had struck him as a decent, friendly guy, although a bit of a reveler, confident to the point of flippancy. 
but the crash had undone him. Chapter 5. The Assurance of Abundance A faithful, sensible servant is the one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk? Matthew 24, 45-49 Okay, one of the funnier and almost iconic videos that came out of the pandemic was a sincere homespun message from a pastor to his congregation. The video was clearly shot on an iPhone at home because at that point, everybody was stuck at home. And the earnest minister was speaking to his flock about overcoming fear. Do not panic. The Lord is in control. Meanwhile, the shot allowed you to see behind him crates upon crates of toilet paper stockpiled in his living room. It was painfully self-disclosing for each and every one of us. The minister was suddenly every man, all of us, talking a good game about resilience and all the while scrambling to make sure we had enough. When the toilet paper stampede hit, I thought it was silly. Good grief, people. This isn't the Battle of Stalingrad. Chill out. And then I saw the empty shelves at the market and realized that if I didn't join in the grasping, I'd be the guy using grocery bags and banana peels. The hoarding then and the binging now are classic symptoms of trauma survivor behavior. Natural disasters awaken in us the primal fear that we will not have enough. So we grasp, hoard, stockpile. People are still doing it now. And how about all the preppers, right, who were doing it even still and doing it with a vengeance, right? That is the fear that the day will come that we will not have enough. To be honest, I should have invested in toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and cardboard in 2019. Cardboard because of all the boxes that have been showing up at our house. I'm embarrassed to admit how much I've been buying things online ever since the fall of 2020. Packages have been arriving almost daily. When the pandemic first hit through the spring of the year, I was in rally mode. Stacy and I hunkered down, focused on our life with God, and helped others do the same. But over time, my soul kept crying out for comfort, for things to be good again. And unconsciously, I tried to assuage that need through buying stuff. Millions of people did. I bought feel-good things, which for me included fly fishing flies, flannel shirts, camping gear, chocolate, binoculars, and gourmet green tea. Are we aware, folks, of what we're doing with all this grasping? The fear that overcame Mac in the crash of the B-24 is operating beneath the surface in each of us, though I didn't really see it for myself until now. Economic shaking the fear of death, the loss of normal life, a completely unpredictable future. This sort of catastrophic upheaval drives us all to the core of human need and fear. 
Will I be provided for? Will I have enough? Is there abundance for me? When you are living in an hour like this one, any vulnerability to deprivation and desolation becomes a high-level vulnerability, which leads us to a truly beautiful grace God wants to provide. And before I dive into this section of the chapter, I want to pause and offer, as I was thinking through the creation of this book and thinking through the different things that it would be important for us to talk about, like where we are in the world now and what it's like to live through trauma and how we develop resilience in a whole variety of ways, which we're just beginning to touch on, folks. So there's like great stuff coming. One of the things I was most deeply impressed with was this, that the fear of not having enough, the fear of deprivation, the human cry for abundance and the assurance of abundance is so primal in every human being in any stage of life. But I realized we have got to talk about this if we are going to build a genuine resilience in our soul, this particular topic, which we are opening up here in this chapter, is so beautiful and it's so important for every human soul at any stage in life, but particularly in turbulent times. That's why I included it here and I actually kind of put it in the center of the book because I think it's so important. So the subhead here is what mother teaches. The number one words spoken from the lips of wounded and dying soldiers on the battlefield is mom, mother, ma. And of course it is. From our earliest memories, our mother is the source of all comfort, security, nourishment, and help. Mother is mercy. In terms of childhood development, mother comes first, before father. Starting in the womb, we receive all our nourishment from our mother. We are dependent on her in every way. Her emotions during pregnancy, especially how she feels about us, about being pregnant, shape our emotions into our adult lives. In the first moments after birth, we were placed upon our mother's chest, and our first experience of attachment is with her. We are lifted to her breast, and from her we receive everything we need for our flourishing. As I read in one research study, emotionally healthy people who were both self-reliant and able to rely on others had home lives in which both parents were loving and emotionally generous, and the mother had given them a feeling of complete security. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, if we just start with the physical level, on a physical level, the composition of breast milk and what it does for the developing child is simply phenomenal. Breast milk enhances brain development. It plays a critical role in the development of the child's immune system. It fortresses the developing baby against a myriad of infections and hospitalizations. And studies have proven it lowers a baby's risk of dying from sudden infant death syndrome. On and on the benefits flow, myriads. I'm simply naming a few to illustrate how deeply and profoundly nourishing a mother was meant to be. Life literally flows from her. 
on an emotional level, our fundamental convictions about whether or not we are going to have enough. If we will be nourished and blessed, these gut-level primal convictions come to us through our relationship with our mothers, especially in infancy. Emotional attachment begins during nursing. Now, gang, I know, I know, stay with me here because we're pressing into some really sacred and really beautiful territory. Hang with me because where we're headed is absolutely healing. The assurance of abundance is something we learn from our mothers. Although saying that we learn it sounds way too cerebral, like learning to read. The assurance of abundance, or not, is imprinted in our souls and becomes a core conviction. Before we even learn speech, we are forming our deepest beliefs about the world and our place in it through our interactions with our mothers. We learn primal love. We learn primal nourishment. When a child is nursing, it gets to drink its fill, assuring the developing soul of the child, my needs matter. I will be sated. I will be satisfied. I will have enough. Something else is also taking place in these early months and years. The mother is bestowing on her child what I call the benediction of being. You are celebrated for being here. Your very existence brings joy to the world. And because of that, your existence is blessed through nourishment, attention, delight, and attachment love. This blessedness is something the mother pours forth upon her child without ever being told to do so. As Lawrence Gonzalez wrote, psychologists have observed that one of the most basic human needs beginning at birth is to be gazed upon by another. Mothers throughout the world have been observed spending long periods simply staring into the eyes of their babies with a characteristic tilt of the head. To be seen is to be real, and without another to gaze upon us, we are nothing. Part of the terror of being lost in the wilderness stems from the idea of never being seen again. Now, resilience is bestowed upon us by being adored and by experiencing our deep hunger satisfied with overwhelming abundance, not just a little bit of satisfaction, but overwhelming provision and nourishment. I think it is utterly profound that the infant first receives its immune system from its mother. Physically, emotionally, soulfully, spiritually, God designed that we would receive resilience and immunity through our attachment with our mothers. That was the original intent, at least, which, of course, and I know your thoughts have already been going here, presents some serious questions for a lot of us. This subhead is called Mother Desolation. Dallas Willard was only two and a half years old when his mother died. It was 1938. His mother and father had gone bankrupt during the Depression and lost their family business just before Dallas was born. They lived a hard, rural life. Dallas's mother, Mamie, suffered an injury jumping from a hay wagon. A subsequent surgery was botched, and she never recovered. 
Mamie wrote her children poems from the hospital, another beautiful picture of the emotional assurance a mother offers her children. But she would never return home. The loss of his mother was incomprehensible to this precious little boy, not even three. It was either during the funeral or the wake, I forget how the story goes, but little Dallas tried to climb into his mother's casket. In all my years as a therapist, I've never heard a more poignant story. Losing a mother, never having a mother, or living with a mother who in many ways could not offer the mothering we needed is simply devastating. There's no other way to describe it. The research is overwhelming on this point. Psychologist Dr. Robert Karen conducted a sweeping review of the research on mother attachment. He reported with devastating precision scores of the early discoveries of mother absence on a child. This story is representative of hundreds like it. We are in an unnamed institution. In grainy, flickering images, we are shown Jane, a little black baby, just after her mother had been forced to leave her for what would turn out to be a three-month period. She's a happy, approachable baby, smiling and giggling as an adult observer plays with her. We are then shown Jane one week later. It is painful to recognize that this is the same child. Depressed, eyes searching, completely unresponsive, except finally for a tremendous, hopeless, frowning wail. The clinician cannot soothe the child. She kicks and sobs in terrible agony. These symptoms lasted the entire three months her mother was gone. Looking at this child, we feel we are experiencing sadness at its ultimate depth the most profound grief imaginable. The kind of grief that makes a little boy climb into his mother's casket. Dr. Karen went on to point out that mother deprivation takes place in many ways that are much less noticeable than total abandonment, yet equally devastating. He wrote, of course, for many babies, even from their earliest days, mother love is compromised in fundamental ways. Mother is cold and unresponsive much of the time. Mother is unable to meet the needs of a very demanding or temperamental infant. Mother is too preoccupied with herself and her feelings of deprivation to give of herself fully. Mother is bitter and angry, and her rage boils over in fits. Friends, I realize I'm taking you into deep, sacred territory. We will proceed gently because this deprivation is something Jesus desperately wants to heal. The need is so primal. The role of mother is so truly sacred. It makes naming mother deprivation in our own lives often very difficult, especially when we had a mother who, quote, did her best. I think what will help us name our need, the need we are bringing to God, is to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Are my reactions to hardship as an adult proving that I received beyond a shadow of a doubt the assurance of abundance as a child? 
Are my actions and emotions proving that I received utter assurance that my needs matter and that they will be met and met joyfully? Right. Me neither. The mother of a friend of mine was a bright, intelligent, attractive woman with loads of energy. She put herself through grad school while he was a young boy, which meant that she was gone a great deal of the time. What he came to discover as an adult was that his mother was a very unattached woman herself. And so while she did offer vacations, gourmet meals, and good books, what she did not offer was simply herself. She withheld the fundamental attachment and nourishment that he craved as a boy. He later wrote me, A few years ago, my wife and I were on holiday in New Zealand. Out in the countryside, you're surrounded by sheep fields. There's sheep everywhere. It was spring, so it was lambing season. I was watching this mother sheep with her lamb. They had been bedded down for a rest when the mother sheep stood up, decided that she's going to cross the meadow and go somewhere else to graze. Her little lamb stood up right with her, and as she took off, he stayed right on her flank. They were practically one. My friend wrote, I'm watching this, and I'm watching my soul watching this, and I realized I have absolutely no category for that. I look in that folder, and there's nothing there. Watching that little lamb, I was thinking, what if his mother offered him nothing? What if she simply disappeared one day from the field, which is what happened to my mom? She went back to work when I was very young and really never came home. All these years, I've wondered why I didn't feel particularly attached to my mom. And now I see. It was because she was never attached to me. You could call this, friends, the category of mother wounds. But I think a far more accurate description is mother desolation. The soul is meant to receive profound nourishment from our mother, physically and emotionally, nourishment in absolute abundance. When it doesn't, the soul experiences a famine of the most serious kind. And so as we're going along through this, I'm wondering what lies for you in the folder of your mother? of mothering, of mother love? And that might be too big a question, so start with this. Did you receive the assurance of abundance? In his research, Karen discovered a direct link between mother deprivation and juvenile thievery. Children and teenagers, which we would call, quote, troubled youth, those with compulsive tendencies to steal things, all had histories of mother deprivation. Karen reports, although all stole repeatedly and compulsively, the thefts were often pointless, and two of the boys would destroy any presents given to them. None of them seemed to have any sense of the meaning of what they had done. They could not say why they stole, and they seemed impervious to the wrong done to others. A child who's been separated from his mother not only craves her love, but also symbols of her love. And so, typically, the young thieves stole milk, food, or money to buy food. These are the things they naturally associate with gratification. Often they stole from their mothers, a tragically perfect 
symbolic act. Perhaps also including a perfectly symbolic act like hoarding toilet paper? Even the best of mothers fail at some point, for we are all broken people in a shipwrecked world. Unmet cravings for security, love, blessing, and nourishment carry on into adulthood. What I want to point out is that any measure of deprivation here in such a primal need leaves us vulnerable to the desolation that we've been talking about, the desolation from the kingdom of darkness that is truly sweeping the world. And, hang on, hang on, here's the good news. God has provision for us. Salvation as a new attachment. A great deal has been written about Dallas Willard since his passing in 2013. The influence of this great man will only grow. But I found the following story, told by Jim Wilder, to be above and beyond all others the most important. This is especially powerful when you remember the little boy trying to climb into his mother's casket. Dallas Willard sat across from me with tears in his eyes as he looked at the floor. Dallas had only weeks to live, but his tears were not for his own life. What I have learned in this last year he told me, is more important than what I learned in the rest of my life. But I have no time to write about it. I will try to finish the projects I have started. He looked up at me. I wondered if he was thinking about our conversation or something else. You need to write about this, Dallas said. His voice was steady, but with mounting passion. I know of no soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, based on forming a new attachment with God. Wilder goes on to say that the only kind of love that helps the brain learn better character is attachment love. The brain functions that determine our character are most profoundly shaped by who we love. Changing character, as far as the brain is concerned, means attaching in new and better ways. This realization brought Dallas to tears. If the quality of our human attachments creates human character, is it possible that when God speaks of love, attachment is what God means? The redemption of Dallas's story to me is so beautiful. The little boy who lost his mother before the age of three, the man who went on to become one of the most brilliant voices for Christianity in the 20th century, discovered at the end of his life his most important lesson, that salvation is a new attachment, the soul's loving bond to our loving God. We've all heard a good bit about our Heavenly Father but in human development, mother comes before father. And a new world of love opens up to us when we discover that God offers to mother us too, to come and heal our souls here in this essential place. God yearns to bring to us the assurance of abundance. As he says himself in Isaiah 49, verse 15, can a mother forget? the baby at her breast, 
and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. God loves you more tenderly and more irrevocably than the best of mothers. If this is new terrain for you, remember, God created motherhood, mothering, mother love, and the mother need in each human soul. God is the source of all mothering. For the soul to be truly saved, for us to come home, our soul needs the loving attachment that mother love first illustrates for us. Just as we move from our earthly fathers to our homecoming with our true father, our heavenly father, so we need to come home to the mother love of God, regardless of what we learn from our earthly mothers. The close of the book of Isaiah crescendos with the promises of the coming kingdom and our Lord's return. The hope described here is exquisitely beautiful. It touches our longings to find Eden again. And look at how much mother imagery and mother love fills these final passages. For you will nurse and be satisfied at comforting breasts. You will drink deeply and delight in overflowing abundance. Isaiah 66, 11 the primal assurance of abundance. It's all there. Attachment as through nursing, the comfort we so desperately need, drinking deeply from unlimited resources, healing our souls with the assurance of abundance. God promises to do this for your soul, whatever your mother's story is. I absolutely adore the tenderness promised in Isaiah's next few lines. You will nurse and be carried and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. When you see this, your heart will rejoice and you will flourish like grass. Dandled on her knees is such a touching promise. You've seen the best mothers coddle and cuddle and bounce their little ones on their knees. Mother and child thoroughly attached, free to be playful. This is for you. God repeats again the promise of mother comfort. And the result of all this mothering is the assurance of abundance. Our hearts will rejoice and our souls will flourish like grass. Now listen very carefully. You don't need to understand it all, and you don't need to process your entire story with your mother to receive everything God is offering here. We heal from the past as we experience new mothering. So let's not wait one moment longer to begin to take hold of this. Attaching to God. The good news in all attachment research is that attachment deprivations can be healed. Mature adults can go on to form deeply meaningful attachments in their lives. And this is especially true when God steps into the picture. As Jim Wilder also wrote, 
God is described over 200 times in the Old Testament as being chesed, a quality God also desires from us. For I delight in loyalty, chesed, rather than sacrifice, Hosea 6.6. The Hebrew word chesed is translated as devoted, faithful, and unchanging love. Could God be speaking of an attachment love that sticks with us? I want to say we can answer this with a resounding yes. The one who thought of something as beautiful as mother love, motherhood, and mother need promises us that even if mothers were to forget, I could never forget you. And even if my father and mother abandoned me, as the psalmist wrote, the Lord will hold me close. Our need for attachment, mother love, and the assurance of abundance opens up for us new levels of joyful experience, even in passages that have been familiar to us for years. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, as Jesus said in John 15, 5. You are a branch. Branches have no unending source of resilience in themselves. They need to draw all of their life and all of their resources from another. They need to receive nourishment, just as a child does at its mother's breast. God is the fountain of life, the only fountain of life. His glorious life is meant to flow through us every day, healing us, filling us with creativity, with courage, joy, playfulness, and resilience. It comes through attachment, bonded love, the soul's union with God. You see, the goal of Christian faith is so much more than church attendance or holding certain doctrinal beliefs. The destiny of every human soul is union with God. As the Scottish Puritan Henry Skugel wrote, Christians know by experience that true religion is a union of the soul with God, a real participation of the divine nature. So perhaps the trauma of these years will open up for us a startling new understanding, a new hope. Loving union with God means attachment to God in the very place of mother need in us. Again, Jim Wilder tells us, Dallas's mind raced ahead of mine in our conversations about attachment. He wondered, is salvation itself a new and active attachment with God that forms and transforms our identities? In the human brain, identity and character are formed by who we love. Attachments are powerful and long-lasting. Ideas can be changed much more easily. Salvation, through a new loving attachment to God that changes our identities, would be a very relational way to understand our salvation we would be both saved and transformed through attachment love from, to, and with God. Okay, it's so wonderful. The question is, what do we do? What we do is we learn to attach to God. 
we ask God for mothering, we go to the place in our souls where mother need lies. We go to the place of the assurance of abundance. We go to our primal fears and we open our hearts in these places to God. This is so important in times of crisis or suffering or deprivation or coming out of such times in our lives or preparing for such times in our lives. And again, I want to say you do not need to understand all of the theory of mother attachment. You don't need to process your story with your mother thoroughly. God knows. He knows your story. He knows your soul's needs. What we can do is begin to open these places up in our souls to his beautiful love and his healing presence. So I've entitled this skill, Receiving Attachment and the Assurance of Abundance. And like the previous prayers, what I'd like to do is read through the prayer once with you, for you, and then let's go back a second time and really enter into it ourselves. Creator of my soul, creator of all mother love and mother need, I need you here. I need your mother love. I need the assurance of abundance. I need the benediction of my being. I need a deep bonded love with you. I need attachment here in the place of my soul you created for attachment. Come, healing God, and heal me here in the place of mother. I open my story of mothering to you, God. I invite you into my need for primal love, primal nourishment. Nourish me here, just as you promised. Creator of my soul, creator of all mother love and mother need, I invite you into my need for primal connection. I invite you into my need for the primal blessing of my being, my existence. Forgive me for taking this need to other places. I am giving all this to you, God. I am opening it to you now. I forgive my mom. I do. I forgive her and release her, and I invite your mother love and mother nourishment, your comfort and solace into this place in my soul. Fill me with attachment love. Fill me with the assurance of abundance. Come into my primal fears that there will not be enough for me, and fill me with the assurance of abundance. Okay, so now let's go back through it again together. Creator of my soul, creator of all mother love and mother need, I need you here. I need your mother love. I need the assurance of abundance. I need the benediction of my being. I need a deep bonded love with you. I need attachment here in the place of my soul you created for attachment. Come, healing God, and heal me here 
in the place of mother. I open my story of mothering to you, God. I invite you into my need for primal love, primal nourishment. Nourish me here, just as you promised. Creator of my soul, creator of all mother love and mother need, I invite you into my need for primal connection. I invite you into my need for the primal blessing of my being, my existence. Forgive me, God, for taking this need to other places. I am giving all this to you, God. I am opening it to you now. I forgive my mom. I do. I forgive her and release her. And I invite your mother love and mother nourishment, your comfort and solace into this place in my soul. Fill me with attachment love. Fill me with the assurance of abundance. Come into my primal fears that there will not be enough for me and fill me with the assurance of abundance. In Jesus' name, amen. Gang, this one is so deep and beautiful and so important. I would come back to this prayer several times as we go on through the book or just over the course of your life in the next several months. That is so good that I really don't want to add anything to it other than to say the audiobook and these skills are so powerful. I really hope you'll experience them. Yeah, I am so grateful to get this into the hands of people now. Both the audiobook and the print version are available, resilient. And also the experience that we've built into the Pause app, 30 Days to Resilient. And you can get that for free simply by downloading the Pause app. If you're not able to get the book itself because it's a tight month and the budget's tight, please let us know. You can email us, support at wildatheart.org, and we would love to help you with that. 